I want to say at the top this week that the topic we're diving into today is an interesting coincidence, given that this sermon is from July 4th weekend. When I was sketching out this series on Romans, I marked down chapter 3, verses 27 to 31, as the section of the book that we would look at in the fifth week of the series. What I didn't realize until a bit later was the fifth week would fall on July 3rd. Funny how this happens sometimes. What I'm trying to say is that this sermon is not trying to be quite as provocative as some might find it to be. Let's call it semi-unintentionally provocative. <laughs> I mean, that just rolls right out the tongue, doesn't it? Semi-unintentionally provocative. So, with that for an introduction, we might as well get right into it. This passage comes right on the heels of the one Meredith talked about last week, where Paul puts forward Jesus, and not the Torah, as the means by which humans come to be a part of God's family. So this is Romans chapter 3 verses 27 to 31. So what happens to boasting? It is ruled out. Through what sort of law? The law of works? No, through the law of faith. We calculate, you see, that a person is declared to be in the right on the basis of faith, apart from works of the law. Or does God belong only to the Jews? Doesn't he belong to the nations as well? Yes, of course, to the nations as well, since God is one. He will make the declaration in the right over the circumcised on the basis of faith and over the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then abolish the law through faith? Certainly not. Rather, we establish the law. This passage is something of a summary of a theme that Paul explores in depth in these opening chapters of Romans and then returns to again and again as the letter goes on and others of his letters too. It was kind of a hot-button issue in this new church thing where Jews and Gentiles were coming together to follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. This contrast between the law of works and the law of faith. This question of how does one find themselves to be a part of God's people in the first place? Is it through works or is it through faith? There's a long history of reading this question fundamentally incorrectly, based on a faulty caricature of Judaism that was popular in the Middle Ages, and that probably had more to do with the Catholic Church than with Judaism. There are any number of things about our faith, actually, that have been inherited from faulty ideas popular in the Middle Ages. Little red devils with horns and pitchforks come to mind, but we're not going on that tangent today. Today, we need to understand how one particular faulty Middle Ages idea has caused Christians to misread what Paul is saying here. The faulty idea is this that first century Jews were legalistic, that they tried to earn their salvation by being good and doing the right rituals, sacrifices, circumcision, tithing on herbs like the Pharisees are said to in the Gospels, that sort of thing. And so then we see this passage as Paul contrasting trying to earn salvation legalistically with the pure faith that God actually requires. But Historians of first century Judaism, especially in recent decades, have shown that this just isn't how a first century Jew, which Paul was, of course, how they would have thought of things. In fact, it gets it the wrong way entirely. First century Jews tried to follow Torah and do the rituals of Sabbath keeping, tithing, circumcision, etc. in response to the grace God had already offered them. Since we have been graciously chosen as God's people, the proper response to that is to fulfill the law the Torah, to act like God's people. And in the first century, the phrase Paul uses in this passage, works of the law, did not mean being good. It meant doing the things that marked you out as one of God's chosen people. It meant, in other words, doing the things that marked you out as distinctly Jewish. 
as opposed to pagan. It meant keeping kosher, getting circumcised if you were male, and keeping Sabbath. The works of the law were the things that showed you were Jewish and not pagan, the things that marked you out as one of God's chosen people. It was more a badge you might wear that said, yep, I'm one of God's family, rather than an entry fee that got you into the club. So then what would it mean for someone to expect to be righteous on the basis of works of the law, which Paul is saying here is ruled out? It would mean to say, I'm one of God's people because I'm Jewish. My ethnic, cultural, and national identities are what mark me out as the right sort of person. Paul is saying that being a part of God's family does not come from national identity or the cultural trappings and practices of being God's people. It comes from actually trusting in God. Faith, in other words. This is, by the way, the same critique that the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah makes. This is from Jeremiah 7, verses 3 to 7. Yahweh of armies, Israel's God, has said this, Make your ways and your deeds good, and I'll let you dwell in this place. Don't trust for yourselves in words of falsehood. These buildings are Yahweh's temple, Yahweh's temple, Yahweh's temple. Rather, make your ways and deeds truly good. If you really make just decisions between an individual and their neighbor, don't exploit the alien, orphan, and widow, don't shed innocent people's blood in this place, and don't follow other gods with evil results for yourselves, then I'll let you dwell in this place, in the country that I gave to your ancestors from of old, forever. Jeremiah is mocking the Jewish leaders of his own day who put their trust in Yahweh's temple, Yahweh's temple, Yahweh's temple instead of actually in Yahweh. And how does Jeremiah know that the people aren't actually putting their trust in Yahweh? Because they show it when they actually follow other gods, whether by literally worshiping stone figurines or more likely, as the verses I just read say, by oppressing the vulnerable and acting unjustly. Because these things are incompatible with trusting Yahweh. Trusting Yahweh for Jeremiah and for Paul leads to life both for the individual and for the whole community. Trusting in Yahweh's temple, on the other hand, leads to death. In Jeremiah's case, the literal death of the armies of Babylon destroying Jerusalem and tearing that temple to the ground. So again, Paul is making this same point, that faith is the badge that shows you are a part of God's family, putting your trust in Jesus' faithfulness, as the previous passage put it. He is contrasting that not with trying to earn God's favor by being good, He is contrasting it with putting your trust in two things, national identity and one's status as God's people. And those two things, national identity and one's status as God's people, they were totally wrapped up together in Paul's day in a way that they definitely aren't today. Oh, wait, I forgot. America's a Christian nation. So yes, if you're keeping score at home, Paul is saying that if you want to be a part of God's people, the way to get there is by trusting in God not trusting in being God's people. And I think this is actually less confusing than it seems, but it is a subtle sort of difference. In Paul's day and ours, trusting in being God's people looks like doing the things that God's people are supposed to do, the things that show you are the right sort of person, not in order to earn a spot, but to show that you've already got one. In Paul's day, that included the things I already have mentioned, keeping Sabbath, eating kosher, being circumcised, participating in the proper sacrifices, the works of the law. 
In Jeremiah's day, it meant similar things, and Jeremiah highlights in particular coming to Yahweh's temple to worship there. See, we're the chosen people of God, obviously. Just don't look beneath the surface because then you'll notice that in our pursuit of power and wealth, which results in our oppressing the vulnerable and using violence to protect ourselves and our interests, we show that we actually worship the same gods as all the other nations, the gods of money and power and violence. We show we aren't actually God's people at all because we don't actually trust God to protect and provide for us. We trust those other things. And this is, by the way, what Paul means with the final verse that we read from Romans 3, which said, do we then abolish the law through faith? Certainly not. Rather, we establish the law. The fundamental purpose of Torah, the law, was not to give people instructions for how to eat kosher or keep Sabbath. The fundamental purpose was to show the Jewish people in the time of the Exodus how to live out trusting Yahweh with all their hearts. It was to show them what a life of faith looked like. Their true badge to show that they were a part of God's family was no different from what Paul is saying in Romans. Faith. That is the heart of Torah. And so Paul is highlighting faith not to undermine the law, but rather to establish the core purpose of the law, the one that the law had always represented, that God's people are made up of those who trust God, who have faith. In our day, the very same dynamics are at play. Although what it looks like to trust in being God's people will be different depending on how different denominations or churches define what God's people are supposed to look like and do. It might look like preserving the hierarchy and institution of the church or the denomination while turning a blind eye to or covering up the sexual abuse of the vulnerable by those with power, bowing to the gods of sex and of power. It might look like punishing any who don't adequately respect the authority of the usually male pastors and elders, even when those figures are volatile bullies and hypocrites, bowing to the gods of masculinity and, again, power. It might look like avoiding talking about issues of justice for fear of driving away the conservative donor base, or talking only about certain justice issues in certain ways that won't offend the liberal donor base, bowing to the gods of money. It might look like showing up to church each week, tithing faithfully, sending the kids to youth group while operating at work in ways that are ethically dubious and oppressive, whether to workers or to the environment, bowing to the gods of the market, and again, money. It might look like putting an American flag in the corner of the sanctuary and praying for the military as part of worship, bowing to the gods of war and nationalism. It might look like working for justice, but then collapsing in fear and anxiety when your preferred laws or judicial rulings are struck down, bowing again to those same damned gods of power. It might look like exercising gifts of the spirit, whether preaching or serving or speaking in tongues, while the folks you live with wouldn't be sad to see a bit more of the fruit of the spirit. It might look like celebrating at Christmas a God who humbled themselves to become human, but then chasing after affluence and comfort, bowing to the gods of social status. It might look like remembering at Good Friday a God who allowed themselves to be humiliated and killed for the sake of the world, but spending most days consuming an endless diet of media that tells you to focus on your house design, your next getaway, your personal style, bowing to the gods of consumerism and follow your blissness. (laughs) It might look like celebrating at Easter a God who rose from the dead so as to offer life to the world, then 
doom scrolling after brunch, leaving you so anxious that resurrection hope seems out of reach. It might look like any number of examples we all could call to mind of doing the things that the people of God are supposed to do while living in a way that shows we actually put our trust in one of the many gods out there who are not Jesus. So we're left with a simple but important question. How do we know if we are part of God's people? How do we know if we've made the subtle but critical shift from trusting in Yahweh to trusting in Yahweh's temple, trusting in our performance of being God's people? How do we know if we've made the subtle shift from being proud of our country to idolizing it? That's a topic Paul addresses later in Romans, even if he has hinted at it already and we'll be exploring it in coming weeks. But as a preview, for Paul at least, one of the ways of knowing is that putting trust in Jesus brings life, justice, joy, peace, hope, even in the midst of hardship. And crucially, it brings those things for me and for others and for the world. The life and justice and joy and peace and hope that come from being part of God's people is for individuals to experience, of course. But then we also help one another experience those things, for creation to experience them. My peace at the expense of others' peace, my life at the expense of others' lives, those sorts of calculations expose that our faith has not been placed in Jesus because Jesus suffered for the sake of others' peace gave his life for the lives of others, and said that despite how paradoxical it might sound, it is in giving up my life for others that I actually find life for myself. And faith in that sort of Jesus will result in our own lives looking like his. And that's the lens, I think, that Paul invites us to look through as we evaluate where our faith actually lies. Is the life we are living producing joy and peace and justice for ourselves and for the world? Or is it producing anxiety and fear, oppression and violence? Is it bringing more life or more death? This is obviously a massive issue, one that touches on every area of life, which is why, in response, we are going to put together in the next few minutes a comprehensive plan for overhauling your whole life. (laughs) Kidding. See, This is exactly what I'm talking about. Doing that, even the thought of doing that, produces anxiety and panic in just about any person, which is a decent signal that maybe that isn't the way God would want us to go about things. No. What we're going to do is something similar to what we have done on a couple of occasions in the past as a church, but that will continue to be a part of our normal rhythm as we move forward, which is to reassess things. What are some of the ways we hold on to certain practices as if they were magical talismans, But if we're honest, they've outlived their usefulness and are bringing us more anxiety than peace right now. What are some things that made our own life easier, but at the expense of life for other humans or for creation? We've talked about this in the past using the phrase rhythm of life, because we're talking about both the normal everyday rhythms, which we live out in our day-to-day lives, but also the rhythms of practices and habits that can bring us life. We aren't going to do all of this today, but instead this will be a sort of response series within our Romans series. So the next seven Sundays starting today, each response time is going to help us to explore a different facet of how we might adjust things to better reflect trust in Jesus in our daily lives. Our goal is not, again, a total overhaul. 
but a few significant adjustments that will result in more life for us and for the world because of who Jesus is and because we can trust the goodness of our God. Meredith led our opening response time this Sunday, and that is going to come out as a separate podcast, a short one in this feed in a little while.